What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Tree Takes Podcast. We got the normal three hosts with us this week, Billy, Austin, and Connor. What's up, guys? How you doing? Hey, what's up? Good, good. So Thanksgiving week, we took a week off, uh, you know, visiting family, things like that. So we did have an episode for you last week, but we got one for you this week. We're going to come back, hit on uh, some NFL coaching hot seats, there's been some news in the MLB as well. Uh, free agency is heating up, but the managers are also. There's a little manager carousel going on. Teams making changes at the helm. Austin, go ahead. So uh, the biggest change, and I alluded to this a couple weeks ago, that I would talk about it later. Um, this is my time to shine and and give Ron Washington his due for how much uh, the Braves – nation appreciates him and all he's done for the team but i'm really happy for him he got the job in anaheim coaching the angels which i can't imagine is the easiest coaching job but also you've got mike trout so it can't be the worst either it's unlikely shohei's back unfortunately um you know if shohei's back then obviously that's a fun managing position but Without him, you really have to lean on the star power of Mike Trout. And the roster's not great. The pitching staff is especially poor. And it's a pretty tough division now that Texas is all beefed up because you've got Houston. You've had Houston. Texas is obviously the reigning World Series champions. And then you've got the Mariners who've been good the last two years. So you're pretty much a fourth place team off the bat. Luckily you have Oakland there too. So you'll never be a last place team, at least not in the next two or three years. But I, I don't know if that's the the job I would love to get if I was a a new coach, but uh, I'm really happy for Ron Washington. He did such a good job coaching third base and coaching the infield for Atlanta really helped guys like Ozzie Albies, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley develop, um, and become, you know, in some of those cases, great defenders. In other cases, just, you know, help them from being a below average defender to, you know, a league average guy like Austin Riley is now. So I'm happy for him. I think he can do the job and uh, excited to see what maybe new life he can breathe into that Angels clubhouse. Cause I mean, maybe players love Ron Washington. Maybe players will want to go there even more now. Who knows? Now, with that, how long is that contract? Because I mean, I feel like this could almost just be a stepping stone. His contract is a two-year deal, so he's there for 2024 and 2025. He is on the older side. I, I think he's approaching 70, if not already there, on Washington age. Yeah, 71. So you, you don't want a guy 71, you know, 70 three years old, you know, by the time he's done with this contract, um, that's probably not the guy you want as your long-term manager, but you know, he's a, a really good stepping stone. If he's there for this, just two years, or if he, you know, goes for four years or something like that, like you can really turn a ball club around in three years and teams like the Rangers and the Orioles have shown us that. And, you know, in some cases you can do it in two. Um, so I think that this is kind of what they're hoping for Ron and uh, maybe soon they'll have another guy, but you've got like, you know, Dusty, Dusty Baker won a world series at 73, I believe. So yeah. he's not too old to coach, but he's 
too old to give like a long-term contract for. Yeah, I agree. I didn't realize that he was that old, honestly. I, I thought he was a little bit younger, maybe, you know, 60s. But still, it is super exciting. I'm glad that he finally does get, you know, the manager role. Uh, I mean, like you said, you know, I follow the Braves a lot just being where we are. And he's definitely helped out with their recent success. It is good for the Angels to have a guy that's so respected around the league and that guys will want to play for because that's been a struggle to get free agents there, especially, you know, when you're the little brother in the market. Um, You know, one guy I could potentially see, you know, it's just crossed my mind. I don't think it's very realistic, but, you know, what if a guy like Max Freed, he's an L.A. kid, he is on the last year of his contract. You know, what if he, you know, wants to go home and play? He already has a familiarity with Ron Washington, so... You know, that's just, you know, one of the scenarios that could play out as far as, you know, the pull that he could have. But, yeah. I wonder if he's going to still be out there doing those drills like he did with uh, all the infielders, you know, now that he's the manager. Yeah, I'd imagine he is. It'd be hard to give up. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on to, I think, the next biggest coaching name that, that got moved was the Craig Council deal. And some people probably even care more about this than the the Ron Washington deal, which... I think it probably is a bigger deal, to be honest. I just, um, you know, think so dearly of Ron Washington. But Craig Council is a really good manager, and he moved in division. Um, I think that's kind of crazy. You know, he was with the uh, Brewers for a few years, but really didn't have that much success, especially no playoff success, I think is where the, the kind of um, doubt is maybe if, if, if he's your – new incoming manager but the cubs you know they moved on from david ross and i think it is an upgrade from david ross to craig council but i don't necessarily think you're getting that much more i mean manager is a position that i think can be really important but it can also not mean that much depending on who the guy is and I don't know if if you're looking at too much of a difference between David Ross and Council, but I think it might have been time for Ross to go. He has had a few rough years, but I mean, with the the product that he's had available, I don't think he's done too bad. So I guess we'll see uh, how it works out. Uh, the Cubs are, I think, a fun team when they're playing right. I, I'd like to see the Cubs uh, competitive this year. They ended off pretty strong. I mean. Bellinger was going absolutely crazy and was kind of in some talks for a little bit for a potential dark horse MVP run, but obviously that fizzled out a little bit at the very end of the year. But I was honestly a little bit surprised because he was so heavily linked to the Mets council was for a while. I mean, with all the talent they have over there in New York, you would think that maybe he'd want that job a little bit more. But I guess probably the expectations are a lot higher too with that role. I mean, I think both fan bases are going to put pressure on you because the Cubs fan base is a diehard bleed blue and red fan base, you know? So there's pressure there for sure, but I mean, it's a little different from the New York market from the media, definitely from that standpoint. I want to move on to talking about the Mets and the bench coach from the Yankees, Carlos Mendoza, as their new head coach. Uh, Personally, I, I don't know much about 
Carlos Mendoza's influence over there in New York and, you know, kind of what he was doing. I'm sure, you know, he probably – I think he was a hitting coach. He was the um, bench coach, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. He's already used to that market, at least, and the media attention that you'll get. But I just – I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting just to see what happens with New York in general. Uh, I don't know if that one's really going to move the needle a whole lot. I think it still comes down to are you having healthy players? You know, they had signed a lot of older guys, and that didn't work out for them. But uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting. But one other guy I wanted to speak on uh, is Mike Schilt. Um, so we last saw him with the Cardinals. Where he actually won a manager of the year. And uh, he's now with the Padres. So that is a big role as well with all the star power they have. Shield kind of fell out of favor in St. Louis pretty quickly. Um, so I'm ex- interested to see how he will, you know, kind of recover and take on this new role with all this talent on that roster. And, uh, you know, the higher ups in San Diego are going to have some big choices to make. Uh, obviously, Blake Snell is a free agent. You got Juan Soto being thrown around in trade talks. Um, so there's going to be some options there on uh, how to move forward in San Diego and uh, see how Mike Schilt can handle that and see if he can bring them back to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, even today there were rumors coming out about Juan Soto being dealt, which uh, you know, you'd think you'd want to try to keep him as one of the young core pieces to pair with Tatis out there in the outfield. Yeah, I don't quite understand why San Francisco seems so set on trading Soto. I don't know if there's some sort of disconnect in the locker room that, you know, maybe Soto and Tatis and Machado don't get along, but I don't necessarily, like, you don't see any of that on the field or really hear anything about it. So if that's the case, it's been really been kept quiet and, uh, I don't I just can't see any good reason to move on from a top ten player in baseball. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. Especially no. when you have a roster that's built to win like now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the one I want to talk about was Shane Bloom from the Red Sox. He was yep. our chief baseball officer. Let him go. I I don't know. I didn't really hate Shane. I can't think he got handcuffed a little bit by the ownership group, honestly. Uh, he developed some guys that are, you know, starting to come in and, you know, made a little bit of an impact at the end of the season. But, again, with, you know, how Boston is and how they expect you to be in the playoffs or at least in the hunt and finishing at the bottom of the division in the last two years, I, I do get where they're coming from, but. I don't know. I, I think if we'd given him a bit more time, I think we would have seen a more return because, you know, he's the kind of guy that comes in and revitalizes a farm system and actually gets you prospects. I mean, we saw it in Tampa Bay. I just don't think that the ownership group was willing to give it the time to settle and actually grow into anything. Yeah. I mean, he, I think you're right. He kind of was a scapegoat for them. Um, didn't necessarily have the best results the last few years so you know i understand the um people who you know it hurts their pockets the most saying well why are we still paying you if you can't 
you know, have a winning season now. We've given you a few years. So I understand the um, kind of eagerness to move on and uh, maybe some fresh blood will do them good, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think if, if anything happens and or, let, me re- let me rephrase this, if the Boston Red Sox are suddenly AL East contenders next year, it's because of free agents. <laughs> it's not because yeah. of the chief baseball officer. And you can say that the chief baseball officer can, you know, affect, you know, free agents and the signing and everything. But I don't necessarily think any moves are made differently with bloom there or not. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think that, I think it's more to do with the manager and the other players that you've got in the clubhouse than the CBO. Exactly. Billy, how about your guardians? Now they got a change over there. Yeah, I hate to see Tito go, uh, but you know, with the way things are going with his health and you know things like that, it was time for him to get out. Loved him as a manager, uh, and now we bring in you know kind of a wild card, Stephen Vote, who I believe he was the bullpen coach in Oakland last year, his first year of being retired from actually playing, and. Uh, yeah, he's the second youngest manager in the bigs. So, first year, we got a young team. Uh, you know, obviously, Jose is our leader. It's going to be interesting to see what we do with guys like Shane Bieber. Because, uh, you know, he's involved in a lot of trade talks. And, uh, you know, kind of how we can replace him. I do like where our farm system is at. So, you know, give them a few years and we could probably, we should be able to win the AL Central. It's not, not strong at all. Uh, basically, everybody there is in a rebuild outside of maybe Minnesota. Uh, so everything I've read about him, though, he was always well-liked as a player, uh, got along with a lot of people, and uh, you know, he's a catcher. So he understands the game. He understands, you know, how to call a game. He understands, you know, that inner workings of everything that goes on during the game. So uh, I don't think it's a whole run hire, but I think it's, you know, an exciting hire, kind of a new guy getting his feet wet. uh, And there's not a ton of pressure on him. So I think it's a good situation for a first time manager. Uh, You know, you got a frisky team that could go out there and win the division, or they could go out there and lose 80 games, 90 games. So nobody will really think, you know, Oh, we didn't expect that to happen, but uh, yeah. So I think that's kind of my stance on it. I mean, it really is the the David Ross approach to hiring a manager. You know, you have a guy who was a let me let me pull up there. I, I was when this hiring first happened, I I compared David Ross and Stephen Vote, and I'm gonna just pull this back up. So. When you look at the the two careers, you have 883 games played for Ross, 794 games played for Vote. So a slightly longer career for Ross, but uh, they're pretty similar in a lot of things. Played appearances 2600 to or 2644 to 2598. Wins above replacement, 7.1 to 10 for Ross. 
uh, home runs 106 to 82, RBI 313 to 314. Five stolen bases, three stolen bases, batting average 239, 229. Vote leads in stolen bases and batting average. OPS plus 94 for David Ross, 93 for Stephen Vote. They both won a championship. Vote, however, did make a couple all-star appearances. So you're looking at two guys who had pretty similar career outcomes and then both move on to be um managers early in their um post player career. So I don't think David Ross's tenure uh started off too bad. It started out kind of well actually, but um didn't end on a high note and I think likely we're going to see kind of the inverse of that with Stephen Vogt. I think you're going to see kind of as Billy alluded to a rough start. And then as players develop, maybe he can get it rolling in year three or four. Just to run through the last couple of guys that we haven't quite got to yet. uh, Aaron Boone is expected to return to the Yankees for 2024. Uh, Bob Melvin, who was the Padres managers, goes to division rival Giants. And I think that those are the only other two managers we didn't talk about. Oh, and Joe Espada taking over for a Dusty Baker who retired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dusty Baker hangs hangs at him up about time. Like I said, 74 (laughs) years old. Um, He managed for 26 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I do hate seeing him and Tito go, though. I mean, they were just such yeah, it, it It is when Washington hangs him up. That really is kind of the the last of an era. You've got a couple other older managers. Brian Snicker for the Braves, another guy who's in his mid-late 60s and um, is kind of from a past era, but he spent you know most of his entire career down in the minors. Um, guys like Dusty and Tito and Ron have been up, you know, coaching the big leagues for a long, 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 long time. So um, whenever Wash is gone, it's it, I think that really is kind of the end of an era. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we talked about though. baseball. Y'all want to get over to the uh, football side of things and talk about what's going on there with coaches? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, as you know, Frank Reich recently got the can uh, in Carolina. Things just were not looking good at all. Granted, it's not a very talented roster, but I think it's more of perception and how things have gone with Bryce Young so far. Um, You know, Young obviously hasn't looked the best, but, you know, got to temper our our expectations a little bit. Uh, with what he's got to work with. But did the Frank Reich firing surprise any of you guys at all? No. I mean, whenever you've got the number one overall pick and he's struggling as much as he is and you were brought in to help turn the franchise around, you don't want to see it take this kind of a back step. I know that, you know, like you mentioned, the talent is not really there in Carolina, but they didn't have a atrocious record last year. I mean, they were – what, five, five, six-win team after trading away McCaffrey? You know, I mean, they they got the capital and expected him to come in and, and build something, at least a stepping stone, show growth, but nothing has gone right over there. And 
with a team at this point in a rebuild, you know, kind of in the middle stages of it almost at this point, after, you know, having gone through a couple quarterbacks the last couple of years, you've got to make something happen or, you know, you're going to get moved on from pretty quick. And they've been rebuilding for the last four seasons, just about. And, you know, it's, it's time. Like they, they need to start moving in the right direction instead of continuing to slide. I think very Urban Meyer-esque, uh, not to the extreme that Meyer was, but just kind of the strategy that the ownership took. Here, you know, you got your number one overall pick. You don't like the way things are going. Uh, maybe some conversations were had with the quarterback and decisions made to move on. So, Austin, you got any comment? Um, you know, I think it needed to be done. I am surprised how early in the season it happened. I think this was even earlier than Urban Meyer got fired and his, you know, 75 to 80% of an NFL season yeah. in Jacksonville. The second shortest head coaching tenure in NFL history. Wow, yeah. I mean, that's that's impressive. Uh, yeah, I don't know why you move on this quick, but I also do know why you move on this quick. Uh, he was abysmal in Indianapolis, and they get a new coach there, and they start doing better. So you hire him, and then he is abysmal there. So you're like, hey, I made a mistake. We're going to move on. So kind of props for that but um kind of punting the rest of the season is unfortunate but it could they're be not, better you know, they're not like, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs yet that no, they're not mathematically so eliminated from hosting a playoff game yet yeah so maybe the interim can turn it around uh anyway connor uh want to get your take who is the number one coach on your hot seat right now in the nfl it's got to be Brandon Staley. Got to be. Absolutely. I mean, if you're looking at the Chargers games, and, you know, I've got several shares of Justin Herbert and fantasy. You all know I talked big about Quentin Johnston throughout the offseason after that draft pick got made. And so I That's watch awesome. a lot of Chargers. It's kind of amazing, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, so I've been watching a lot of Chargers games and the product I'm seeing, I mean, there's been a lot of stats. If you pay attention to sports, social media at all, you've been seeing the stats. Like, I think two weeks ago it was, oh, in the time that Justin Herbert's been quarterback, the offense has scored exactly as many points as the defense has let up. So they're allowing the ninth most points per game, the highest passer rating to opponents, and the fourth most yards per play this season so far. And – They've also got one of the most expensive defenses in the league this year you know, for the salary cap. So it's absurd to think that he still has a job. I mean, after the complete meltdown that we saw in the playoffs last year versus Jacksonville, where they're up, what, 28 to nothing at halftime and then lost. Yeah. And you just – you cannot have this – team and all the pieces that you have and be this bad i mean it's just absolutely unacceptable he's been there for what three four years now yeah 2021 was his first year yeah so i mean the fact that the team has gotten progressively worse 
over his time there. I mean, I know that last year they kind of used the offensive coordinator as a scapegoat, uh, brought in the new one this year, and it's not like it's just not working out. They've got to make the change of the coaching seat if they want Justin Herbert's career to turn around. Then you know, actually have a, a chance at winning. They've got to make the change. Like, it's just clearly not working. It almost feels like he's lost in the locker room. Uh, the guys don't believe in him anymore. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be the defensive guy. Like he got hired as a you know. A def- you know there's always the labels if a guy's an offensive head coach or a defensive head coach, and and Staley's a defensive guy. He came from the Rams as their defensive coordinator. And the defense has really been the major letdown. I don't really see how you can keep him there as the head coach after this season, unless something major turns around these last few weeks. I it would be very confident in saying that he's not going to be back as the Chargers head coach next year. To Austin, other than Staley, who's your your next hottest seat? Got to be Ron Rivera for me. Washington Commanders do have four wins and are, you know, tied for third place in their division. But I think it's time to move on from uh, Riverboat Ron. You've got Biennemi there as the offensive coordinator. I think it's about time he gets a shot to get the head coaching gig. So I think it's out with Ron. Slide Biennemi to head coach. He's an offensive guy. Hire a new DC because Rivera, you know, is the, um, defensive guy there in um, Washington. So I, I think that's a pretty easy move for me. I, I don't think it's shaking up the building too much. And uh, I think that would be the best move for the commanders. And I don't really see any reason not to do it. Yeah, I think the writing has kind of been on the wall there for, you know, most of this year, especially, you know, new new ownership group coming in. They're going to want to turn things around. So you know, just with the way things are going right now in Washington, I just don't think that it is the, you know, path to keep Ron Rivera. He obviously has not made much of an impact uh, in his years there. So I think the writing's on the wall. Yeah, it's it's been – I mean, they've been in games, but I think that was in spite of him and not because of him, honestly. Uh, I just – I don't see – I, I would like to see them keep uh, the enemy because I, I do think that, you know, the offense is, yes, it's struggled, but they're doing everything they can with the pieces. I mean, they've got Sam Howell, a quarterback, who looks good at times, but other than, you know, McLaurin and uh, Jahan Dotson, who's not been involved very much this year, I don't really feel like they have a whole lot going on for them positively on the offensive side of the ball. All right, the guy I have on uh, my hot seat is Arthur Smith of the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you know, this team is loaded with offensive potential. You got Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Tyler Algier, who ran for 1,000 yards his rookie year. You got a uh, average O-line. You know, they're not the worst O-line you've ever run out there. And this team just is like tread water. It's like you never know what you're gonna get each week. There's no consistency. Obviously, you don't have an answer at quarterback. You're in what year three now, 
and you don't have an answer at quarterback. Desmond Ritter is the guy. Taylor Heineke is not going to be your long-term quarterback. Uh, you know, at some point, you have to either make some drastic changes personnel-wise or staff-wise. And I think Arthur Smith is going to be the guy that ends up, you know, getting the brunt of that, even though his team is currently in first place in his division. Uh, it's a terrible division, so it doesn't really matter. You know, still not a good team. Uh, but he was the guy that they brought in that they said, okay, he's coming from the Tennessee Titans. He's the offensive play caller there. He's supposed to be the offensive mastermind. And he doesn't like to use his best weapons. You got to make that make sense at some point. Bijan had a crazy week this week. He actually got some touches and went berserk. You know, it's who would have thought? Shocker. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? You know, your, your top 10 pick running back is good at football and makes things happen when he gets the ball. Crazy. It is crazy. You have three top 10 skill position players on that offense. Yeah. And all of them, when they've gotten touches, have performed well. It's not like any of them have, you know, it's not like Kyle Pitts is a a huge fumble risk or Drake London has no hands and can't catch passes. When they're targeted and when they get the ball in their hands, they make stuff happen. He just refuses to scheme things up to make it happen. I, I don't get it. I mean, heck, Kyle Pitts was only the second tight end ever to have a thousand receiving yards in his rookie year. And now he's getting like 40 receptions a season. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it's the quarterback change, you know, right. going from yeah. a, a good quarterback to Desmond Ritter and then Taylor Heineke and then back to Desmond Ritter. But, you know, you got to do better. My real question is could the entire NFC South come to 2024 with different head coaches than they have in 2023 because Dennis Allen and Todd Bowles aren't exactly comfy in their chairs right now. No, I would think if Dennis Allen leads his team into the playoffs, he gets at least another year. Yeah. You know, you got, you're kind of experimenting with another quarterback there, Derek Carr, right? A guy that got kicked out of Las Vegas. They didn't want him anymore. So you bring him in, see what he can do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely possible if the, you know, because somebody's going to have to win this division. And it's going to be hard to fire your head coach after you win the division, no matter how bad your record is. Anyway, there's one more guy I want to mention that I don't think should be on hot seats. That's Bob Sala. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, you know, his name's thrown out there, but the dude has had to do with Zach Wilson at quarterback for, you know, what is it, two, three years now? Mm-hmm. He's Zach Wilson's proven he's not an NFL caliber starting quarterback. He's proven the that offense. many times over. Yeah, the yes. offense up until this year, or last year really, was pretty bland. Uh, not a whole lot of talent. The offensive line has holes all over like Swiss cheese. So I don't think this is a Bob Sala issue. I think this is a higher than Bob Sala issue with drafting. Yeah, guys like Zach Wilson too. Makai Becton was a top 10 pick. He's not very good. Obviously, the defense has worked out really well with Sauce Gardner, Quinton Williams, and those guys. But the offense is where this team loses the games. And the guys that made these picks, obviously, 
didn't really know, didn't really have a feel for offensive ability, I would say. I mean, if you can't sustain a drive and keep your defense off the field, it doesn't matter how good they are. I mean, you'll see that if you watch a Jets game, Sauce is gassed by the end of the game. Quinn Williams is gassed. I mean, they're on the field so much because Zach Wilson can't sustain a drive. Yeah. I mean, they just – they look absolutely beat down, and they're just not able to make the plays that they were able to in the, you know, first, second quarter to keep the game close. But uh, another coach that's being thrown around a lot on the hot seat is Bill Belichick. Yeah. I mean, certainly so. Yeah, and they're what two and nine now. After the games this week, yeah. So I mean, it's it's been rough, and I mean they even had a chance to tie it up and you know miss the kick, which not on Bill exactly, but I mean they've got to make a change there because Mac Jones is clearly not the answer. I know we called for that a few weeks ago, but I mean yeah. something. I think that it's you know, come to the end of his time as a, a head coach in the NFL. Uh, I don't know how much more of a chance he's going to get after all the leeway he's been given after Tom leaving and just seeing this team kind of fall apart ever since then getting worse and worse. Mac Jones obviously not the answer, but this this offense has just been, I mean, I would say just so creative over the last few years since Tom left. It was never the most creative, but it was just efficient and effective well-oiled machine, and uh, it's been anything but since then. Yeah. Yeah, the college football playoff rankings came out, and I'm just going to list off the top eight because those are the only ones only ones that truly matter. You have Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. Those are your top four. So four teams making the playoffs. Those are the ones who are currently in as of now. And then just outside, you have Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama. And three of those four teams are playing in their conference championship. And all four of the teams in the top four are playing for their conference championship. And, you know, the math works out. Some of these players, some of these teams are playing each other. So there could be a whole lot of shakeup. Yeah. Um, next week, but first thoughts on the current rankings as of now. All four teams that are currently in the top four are undefeated, twelve and zero. I think you have to put the the top twelve and zero teams in the top four. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a good argument for a team that's has a loss to be ahead of a team that doesn't. No. I think that they've got the rankings right at the moment. I mean, I I could see them maybe being a little low on you know FSU potentially, and that's just because of the quarterback situation as of right now. But also, until they lose, you can't take them out of the conversation. Like regardless of it, they're twelve and zero. Like you said, you've got to put the twelve and zero teams in. But just seeing that, you know, like that Washington-Oregon game is going to be massive for the implications because Washington is Oregon's only loss. If they come back and beat them in the conference championship team game, should they get the nod over Washington? I think the best case scenario for Florida State is that Washington wins. Absolutely. 
Washington has to win because then if everybody else handles business, then it's set, you know. But if you get into a scenario where you have, you know, say Washington loses, say Alabama wins, say Texas wins, you know, then you start looking at resume. And the Pac-12 was strong this year. And Texas has a win over Bama. If Bama beats Georgia, then things start getting dicey for Florida State, and you start thinking, okay, what if, though? You know, because Florida State does not necessarily this year was a down year for the ACC. They don't have that real statement win. I mean, LSU week one, but LSU, you know, hasn't really shown us that they're the LSU teams of the past. Like, you know, the defense is all-time bad for LSU this year. I don't know how much they would weigh that compared to, say, okay, Texas is 12-1, and one and they have a win over Alabama. Or because in Alabama beat Georgia, and Alabama also has beaten three other ranked teams. You know, so – that's where I think it gets dicey for Florida State. But at this point, all you can do is handle business. If you're 12-0, and 0, you should be in the playoff, no question about it. I mean, this isn't, you know, UCF going 12-0, and 0, beating Tulsa and Tulane. It's Florida State beating a bunch of D1 Power 5 programs. So, well, what everybody's comparing it to is last year's runner-up. And TCU. the one who sneaked in last year was TCU. I mean, is this the TCU situation with Florida State? Florida State's a much more talented team than TCU. 100%. Now, offensively, it's going to be kind of a, a big question mark. Tate Rodemaker did not look good against Florida. As a Florida fan, Florida's defense is not good. He, uh, you know, obviously it's his first start, so it's kind of expected. Really hostile environment. Uh, you know, Florida play with nothing to lose. So they were out there, you know, giving it everything, throwing all kinds of stuff at him. So I get it while he started out slow, but he's going to have to have at least a solid game against Louisville, who also has a, a pretty good defense. And I think that's a game that if I was a Florida State fan, I'd probably be biting my nails a little bit because I think that's going to be a tight game. I think Louisville is going to, be wanting to play spoiler i think they have you know a pretty balanced offense and they've got a solid defense so that's the game i'm most interested in this weekend honestly i know you got alabama and georgia but i just don't think alabama has enough to take georgia this team hasn't lost in three years uh their experience they got everything so Florida State is the team I'm going to be interested to see the most just to see how they look. I do expect them to win. Uh, but, you know, if they don't look convincing really in their win or in control of their win, then I think people are going to start talking and it's going to get real dicey for Florida State. So the schedule of the games, I'll just go over it and we'll talk who we think will win and then we'll talk about scenarios. So, First game is the Pac-12 championship on Friday. That's Oregon versus Washington. If Washington wins, 
and they're in the college football playoffs. If no they don't, asked. if they don't win, it's hard to say. Do y'all think Washington handles business, or do y'all like Oregon to win? I don't hate Oregon's chances, especially with it being a neutral site and that game being so close because it was it was played at Washington, right? It was. So I mean, it being a neutral site this time. The fact that Oregon has gone out and handled business against everybody else convincingly this season and how close that game was round one, I don't think that they want to lose. And it's hard to beat a team twice. And you've seen it multiple times with Alabama and Georgia playing in the SEC championship game. The winner of that game typically lost the playoff matchup that they had if they met. So, I mean, it's – it's tough. You know, not many people can beat the same team twice. You know, you've seen all the same plays. And just because of how close that game was, I think I might have to give Oregon a slight edge here. And they've been firing on all cylinders. They've looked amazing. I just, I think it could easily happen. Oregon's like heavy favorites. Yeah. Oregon's heavy favorites? Oregon is heavy favorites. 10 points. Yeah. Wow. That makes so, no sense to me. Well, since that game, Washington 36, Oregon 33, nobody's come within nine points of Oregon. I mean, they're just blowing people out. Granted, they haven't played a whole lot of high-level competition. They played Washington State, California, and Oregon, or in Arizona State, which, you know, Washington State's not a bad team. They got a lot of playmakers, but it's Pac-12 defense. On the other hand, they beat Utah. They beat USC and they pretty much dominated Oregon State in the Civil War. Since the game that Washington won, they've been playing with their food a little bit, 15-7 over Arizona State, 42-33 to a terrible Stanford team, 24-21 to Washington State, 22-20 to a good Oregon State team. But they've been playing with their food a little bit. They're not firing on all cylinders like they were earlier in the year, putting up 40, 50 points a game. This is a team that, you know, has kind of – Lost their rhythm a little bit. I think they need to get back into it. I think I do lead Oregon here. Uh, and it's going to get interesting. I think Oregon win. I think an Oregon win and you're in, honestly. Yeah. Oregon win and you're in. I kind of like that. Uh, yeah, so I think the Pac-12 championship game is a win and you're in situation. I would I would tend to agree. Don't yeah. you think 10 points is absurd, though? Like, I, I would agree that I think Oregon should be a slight favorite here. But, I mean, I'm talking three and a half points, not, and a half, nine, and a half. not nine and a half. Yeah, it's nuts. Well, I guess Oregon's just such a high-powered offense. It, yeah. It's because of the way they've been playing, both teams, I think. Yeah, I mean, the over-under is 66, so it's it's expected to be a high-scoring game. Um, let's move on. Oklahoma State, Texas. Texas has an outside shot of getting in. It would require a pretty tricky set of circumstances. But if Texas handles business and like blows out Oklahoma State, is there a scenario when they where they can get in? What would it take? I guess is what I'm asking for Texas to sneak in. Obviously, a Florida State loss. Georgia loss. I think does it though? I don't think it does. 
I think a Florida State loss or an Alabama win because that just strengthens your case for yeah. the resume. We I went agree. on the road in Tuscaloosa, beat Alabama, who beat the team that hasn't lost in three years. And right, then, but if, you know, you have a, good. if Alabama beats Georgia, wouldn't that put Alabama above Texas? I think where they have it ranked right now, Alabama, like a lot has to happen for them to get in, I think. I think. Just because they have them at eight, even if you beat the number one team in the country, like Texas would have to lose, Florida State would have to lose, Washington would probably have to lose. Washington would probably have to lose. Yeah, Ohio State's to... irrelevant at this point. Nothing can uh, get Ohio yeah. State in. They're yeah. even though they're sitting at six, they're not playing a conference championship. No, there's no situation where Ohio State can get in. Yeah. No. They, the Big Ten just needs to do away with the East and West and their conference because the East is so overpowered. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I think that for Texas to get in, it would take only Georgia and Florida State losing. But I think if Washington were to also lose – Alabama might get the nod. Well, I think for for Texas to get in, I think all that ha- needs to happen is for Florida State to lose, right? Because then you jump, you're jumping Ohio State. They're not going anywhere. Oregon loses, they're going down. Florida yes. State loses, they're moving down. Texas is sliding right into that four spot. So that's that's what I was saying. I don't. Right. I think if Alabama wins, it makes it tougher. Because I think, personally, I think if Alabama beats Georgia for the SEC championship, even though Texas already beat Alabama, I think that, for me, jumps Alabama over Texas. But if Washington beats Oregon and Florida State loses, Oregon drops down because they lost to Washington. Ohio State's going nowhere. Florida State drops. And then Texas is sitting there as the next best team, I think, because you know Alabama losing to Georgia, they don't go up. I think that's really the only scenario, which isn't super unlikely, but Florida State are currently favorites to when you need them to lose, and Washington are currently underdogs, and you need them to win. So it would take two upsets, but that's not – um actually, what's, what's even the line for the Georgia-Alabama game? I guess we should check that out real quick. The line is – I'm guessing Georgia minus four and a half. Georgia minus five and a half. Damn. So, yeah, you you would just need two upsets, and uh, Texas two specific, you know, upsets. I think you know if, if any other way those upsets happen, I don't necessarily see the um, Longhorns getting in. But I guess we can go. We can talk about the Alabama chances now what scenario gets alabama and obviously you need a texas loss i think is is a big one but it doesn't necessarily have to happen i think if you beat georgia washington has to win because you beat georgia washington wins and fsu loses i think you can make that case i agree because that would put washington at one georgia at two Washington or Michigan at one, one of the yeah. two. I don't care which. Right, however, it probably that. is going to be Michigan, honestly. Yeah, I mean, let's. Michigan's going to 
handle business. I have no. Yeah, they're going to blow out. I don't even know who they're playing. Big Ten Championships, uh, Michigan versus Iowa. That's going to. I I'm not worried about that even in the slice. Michigan, I think, is a shoe, and I have no questions about them. They're the one team that can't lose. I think Uh, the other three teams that are currently in can all lose. I would say that the only team. I would say that Michigan is a shoe in, and at this point, Georgia is pretty much a shoe in, win or lose, to make the college playoffs. Unless they just look absolutely atrocious, and both Texas and Alabama look so good, I don't think that you can make a case. You know, that's obviously assuming that you know Florida State loses or Washington, you know, and Washington handles business. I think that there might be a slim case where they could, if Georgia loses and just a blowout put Texas and Alabama both in at the three, four. Michigan is 22 point favorites, by the way, not surprised. And the the closest game in terms of odds, actually out of these all games we've talked about are Florida state only favored by two and a half over Louisville. Well, listen to this. So the Iowa Michigan, I think the total was 38 and a half. Michigan's 22 and a half point favorites. That means they're putting the Iowa team total at six and a half. Yep. (laughs) That's absurd. Not all that surprising, though. No, definitely not. So Florida State versus Louisville. I think we all three would like, not like, would say Florida State is probably going to win this two and a half points. Vegas isn't super confident in the Knowles though. I wouldn't be either. I mean, after watching y'all's quarterback go in and not look great for most of that Florida game, I I wouldn't be incredibly confident either. I think that y'all do have the better defense and the better offensive weapons, but he's going to have to find a rhythm. He's going to have to get in there, get comfortable, and and make the plays happen. Yeah, the run game is going to be big. Uh, Trey Benson's going to have to have a huge game. Uh, You know, Johnny Wilson, again, is going to be a key piece. He was one of Rodemaker's favorite targets the other night. So they're both going to have to bring it to, uh, you know, Louisville's not a slouch. No. Even though they lost to Kentucky last week. Even though they lost to Kentucky, but they're still a top 15 team in the country. Yeah. They do have one bad loss to Pitt, but, you know, this is part of a team everybody expected to be borderline top 10 at the beginning of the year. So they're here. They got a good coach in Jeff Braum, and they got an experienced quarterback. So that is always a case for possible upset. Yeah, 100%. I really like that we're going to the 12-team playoff next year. Yeah, so absolutely. So we don't have all these questions. I think that it'll be much better for college so let's, let's just – I think 12 is too many. I I agree. I'd I rather it be eight personally. Yeah, there are currently – Or even in, 10 with only the top two getting buys. Not including Liberty and Tulane – the teams that are zero losses, undefeated or one loss, are the top eight. 
9, 10, 11, and 12 all have two losses. And then you actually have LSU with three losses. So you're talking about potentially a three-loss team making it into the playoffs next year? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's better for the sport. Um, you know, the upsets and things like that are, are, are more dramatic. But at the same time, it, it kind of sucks when, you know, let's look at the top 12 currently and just say Ole Miss, imagine they make it into the playoffs and then somehow make it to the national championship and then get to play Texas. Like a Texas Ole Miss championship would suck really bad. Yeah, yeah, it would. It will be interesting too, though, with the conference realignment. I think we're going to see less 12 0 teams coming yeah. at this point than we have in the past. In the last like six or seven years, there's never been four 12 0 teams heading into the conference championship. I'm looking back to the history of college football playoff 2016, there was only one 12 0 team. 2015, there were two 12 and 0 teams and the last one, the first very first year of college football, there was only one Florida state um, ranked at four behind a one loss, Alabama, Oregon, and TCU. So uh, yeah, this is uh, unprecedented having four teams, 12 and 0 going into uh, atop the college football playoff poll going into championship week. So really excited. Yeah, it is exciting. It's going to be just a couple of real good games, but a lot of implications on all of them just about. Yeah. All right. Um, Let's move on to the Tricky 50. All right. All right. I'll do the recap. Um, Since Simon was our host last week, he's not here. I will just go ahead and do it for him. He did a, a fun theme. Steelers versus Browns, and uh, that game was very low scoring out of the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Of the 11, of the 11 players that we drafted, only one of them hit their target, and that was Elijah Moore. Uh, Connor got him for 8.8, and he got 9. So Connor got 8.8. Billy and I both got goose eggs last week, so uh, not that much of a change in the rankings. Still Connor ahead. Woohoo. <laughs> All right, so I just sent you guys the uh new list for this week. No theme. Uh we are just going straight to the point here. So Austin goes first. All right, huge. Uh give me I don't know, I was gonna say J- Jamar, but he doesn't have um yeah. Joe Burrow. Um, give me Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams with a huge week last week. He is playing the Cleveland Browns. He's projected 15.2. I'm offering him up for 14. That is a lot versus the Browns. I will, I'm comfortable going right at 14 though. All right, Carter, you got anything for Mm. him? I don't. Here, back to Carter. Let me get Broncos country. Let's ride. All right. The chef, Russell Wilson. Uh, 
They're playing the Houston Texans. He's projected 20.1 points, offering him up at 19. Yeah, I'll take that. All right, I'll 19. go, go 19.7. I'll go 20.5. Oh, you can have him. <laughs> All right, Connor takes Russ. Austin, your go. I had absolutely zero intention of taking Russ. I just wanted to get the bid up a little bit because uh, I want Brock Purdy. All right. Well, Brock, he is playing the Philadelphia Eagles in probably the best game of the weekend. Uh, he's projected 22.1. I'm offering him for 20. Um, I'll start at 21. 21 for Freed. Connor, any interest in Brock Purdy? I'd go 21 8. 8. Um, give me his projection 22.1. All right, Connor, you got to come back. I'll go 22 6. I'll go 23. I'll let you have him. All right, Austin yeah. takes Brock Purdy. Let's see Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary, the Houston Texans, they are in turn playing the Denver Broncos. Uh, he's projected 9.9, offering him for a smooth 9. I'll go 9 even. Any interest in Austin? No, don't want him. All right, back to you, Austin. Don't have that many points. Um... Let me see Deontay Johnson. All right. Tough week last week for Deontay. He's playing the Cardinals. He's projected at 9.8. Uh, offered him for 9 also. I'll do 9. Pass. <laughs> it's against Carter's rules to bid on a Steelers. I hope if you had uh, Jalen Warren up there, I'd be bidding on him. But, <laughs> but uh, his lack of effort scares me. Yeah, that was a rough. That was a rough play. It was. All right. You know, I just want to see what's Miles Sanders going for. <laughs> I knew you would want to be. You would be intrigued by your boy Miles Sanders here. <laughs> I am. Taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's projected seven point seven, but I'm offering him for six and a half. Yeah, no, I'm good. I do not have those funds. You're correct. All right. Austin, yeah, uh, there's, there's two more guys you can bid on. <laughs> yeah, the funds I do have for tight end one in Atlanta, Johnny Smith. <laughs> he is tight end one. Uh, he is playing the New York Jets. He's projected 4.4, and my offer is four on the dot. That's what I got. Yeah, I'm going to go 4 1. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bench Kyle Pitts this week in Dynasty. That way Kyle Pitts goes off and Johnny doesn't get anything. You know, that's how it would go. <laughs> Which I'd be totally okay with you losing in the Dynasty League too. Oh, yeah, that's true. We are in a pretty heated battle in Dynasty. It's a very close group, one through five. All right. Uh, let me just see Jamar, Billy. Jamar, no Joe. Uh, they're playing the Jaguars. He's projected 12.7. I'm offering him for 12. He's yours if you want him. I I will 
I will do Jamar. I got big trust in the boy. Big trust. Jamar Chase. Also because I, I need him to uh do great in the dynasty. Yeah, so why not have him disappoint you twice? You know what? Better to be disappointed twice than once. Yeah. All right, so Carter has I don't think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carter has 4.4 remaining. Austin has four. Uh, maybe there's some mean discounts, some Cyber Monday discounts out there if you guys want to start guessing some names. All right, tell me Rico Daddles. Daddle is for four, please. You know what? I'm thinking about doing a special. Okay. Since uh, since it was just Black Friday and Cyber Monday, I'll give you Rico Dowdle for three points. I'll take him for see, four. Let's see a little bidding war. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm just gonna start it out at four. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just max out and go four point four. Damn. All right. Um. Well, I've got four points left, and Tucker Craft should be less than that. Tucker Craft is less than that. He is playing the Kansas City Chiefs, scored a touchdown on Thanksgiving. Uh, he's projected 3.6. He's up for three. Uh, no need to spend all my points. I'll I'll go three. All right. Takes the safe route with Tucker Kraft mac and cheese for a solid three-piece tender meal. All right. Yeah, so the guys you guys didn't bet on, Derek Carr, DK Metcalf, Jaden Reed. Bet on all the running backs. And then the last tight end available is Logan Thomas as well. So those guys go unclaimed. And uh, yeah, each guy, Car spends all 50. Austin spends 49. Nice, clean, crisp numbers. So uh, happy with that. But that wraps up this week of the Tricky 50. Come back next week. Check how everybody did. See how many points I get. All right. Uh, well, as always, guys, go check out you know the Box Score Network. Uh, all of our guys over there will be, I'm sure, putting every, a few things up on the Twitter here. So check us out there uh, at Tricky Takes, uh, and you know enjoy all the the mayhem that could possibly ensue in college football. And uh, as we continue to get gearing up for the NFL playoffs here, yep. big chaos guy this weekend. I just want all the underdogs to win. Um. Nope. Yeah, let's have let's have at least two. let's have at least one um favorite win. Uh, we like that. We'll let's, get at least Penn, least let's get Penn, Penn State one. back into the college football <laughs> playoff talk. Let's have it so chaos that the number ten seed gets talked about. If every if every team ties, <laughs> <laughs> then everything stays the same. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch y'all next week. Peace. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker here to tell you that the Stat Sheet Podcast is presented by BoxScore Network. BoxScore Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. Do you want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, or fantasy advice? Well, check out BoxScore Network and follow BoxScore Network on Twitter at BScoreNetwork for updates.